Hey listeners. In our podcast, we tell stories of true crime and hauntings, and these stories can sometimes contain gruesome and explicit details. This podcast is not intended for listeners who may not want to listen to the graphic description of true crime events. It may cause triggers. Our hosts are by no means experts on any subject matter they discuss. They're just two friends telling you true stories from our home in the Pacific Northwest. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Or don't. That's okay, too. Oh God! Ooh, what? <laughs> Cheers. Okay. Happy Hello. Monday. Clink to Mondays. Uh-huh. Hi, Darla. Hi. Happy Moonshine Monday. Ew! I would never drink that. Have you ever had moonshine? Yeah, it's disgusting. Have you had it? I don't think so. I probably have. I don't know. I mm. think I've tried everything. You know what I have tried and is horrific? Uh, Hennessy. Hmm. Have you had Hennessy? Yeah. It's disgusting. It's like pure gasoline. It evaporates. I think that's what I'm thinking of. It's cognac. I tried it once and I hated it. Mm. And it evaporated as soon as I p- drank a little bit. Because it's really <laughs> strong. Because it's fucking nasty and I don't know why people in the rap videos sing about it all the time. Because it's expensive. Well, I think my grandpa still has it. I'm the only one that drank it, so I should bring it here and we can... Anyways, um, did you... we didn't light the candle. Okay, light it. Okay. Where's the lighter? I'll do it. Let mama do it. Let mama just... do it. The sacrificial mm. burning of the candle. Go, Jesus. It's your birthday. <laughs> when is Jesus' Christmas, birthday? Christmas, fool. It probably it isn't 25th. even. Go, Jesus. It's your birthday. Okay. Darla. Kezia. Welcome back, everybody, to Radio Face Stories. The podcast. Where we tell you stories that will keep you up all night. <laughs> you know how I hate that you guys always claim that I'm haunted and it's full of it's bullshit Mm. then last episode Rebecca put in that really nice filter about me being haunted still well that night I almost didn't want to tell you this story that night uh Pat and I were sleeping it was the middle of the night and all of a sudden he woke up for whatever reason and he checked his phone he did something with his phone his phone the light was on or something woke us up and he's like what the heck and I'm like what are you doing he's like my phone the light is on I'm like okay turn it off and he goes to look at his phone and it's like, you know, if you pull down on the screen and you can search at the top, mm-hmm. just like of your phone, that was uh, like, it's like it had been pulled down and it said it had nine sixes. What? Six, 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 six on his fucking phone. Whoa. And he's like, look at my phone. It has all sixes. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. And he's like, look at my phone. Yeah. For real. Ew. Yeah. And then I was like, just put it, just put it down and go back to Like, I didn't want it. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So Darla, that, that's that so creepy. But it was his phone. Maybe he's the haunted one. No, it's definitely you. Darla, that's crazy. So, okay, I know that we do talk about you being haunted a lot, but we've never really got into the specifics of it. So I think maybe in one of the podcasts coming up, we do need to tell a little bit of the incidents because I feel like the listeners want to know what we're on about. There is some very odd incidences. Yeah. More than someone typing sixes into the phone. And every time that something weird has happened that I recall, I've always been with Darla. <laughs> great. That's like when great. we were kids. But yeah. we will get into that another time. Is there something else that you want to share? Okay. I came across one of these really dumb Facebook things that tells you like what your, and then it's like what is your cowboy name? What is your whatever oh, yeah. the fu- those things? Okay. So this is what is your serial killer name? Oh, that's amazing. 
So this is yours. You officially will be called the Outback Tickler. <laughs> I kind of like that. Which I thought is just too good to not. The Outback Tickler. Yeah, that sounds really disturbing. And Rebecca, you would be the Ice Truck Pickler. Oh my, that sounds like... I don't even know what to do with that. It sounds like she makes pickles for a living or something. <laughs> Out of an ice truck. That would be actually really sweet. People pickles. People she makes pickles. people into pickles. And what body part would make the best pickle, Rebecca? A ramadama ding dang dong. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> and yours? And me and myself. I am the Bay City Chef. Which <laughs> Which is stupid because I hate cooking. No, you just literally just chop people up with your knife. <laughs> yeah, the Bay I, City Chef. That's me. That's hilarious, Darla. I love I'm that. I'm glad that one turned out. <laughs> um, okay, so tonight we have a guest. We have our first guest. I'm pretty excited about I'm it. I'm pretty excited too. So we have her here on a Zoom call, and she's coming to you live from Powell River, British Columbia. She's probably a little less excited, but... I think she's probably super <laughs> excited. So... Yeah, she lives in Powell River. She's been a good friend of mine for a long time. We do lots of fun things together, mostly laughing, which is, you know, the best thing that best friends medicine. can do together. Absolutely. We have a guest. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Whitney. Oh, hello, ladies. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. What, Excited what to tell you, my story. What are you pouring for yourself there today? Oh, just a little WW. Oh, that's nice. nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, for mm-hmm. those of you that don't know what that is, it's white wine. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> how do you know Whitney? Did you say already? I don't. Maybe. Well, Whitney, why don't you t- introduce yourself and how you came onto this podcast? Uh, so Kez and I met through a mutual friend. We fell madly in love, shared a couple hard-boiled eggs on a chairlift, and the rest is <laughs> <That> history. <laughs> that old story. <laughs> That old story, that old love story. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I love true crime. Actually, the story that I'm going to tell you guys, like I heard on a podcast, it was actually the first episode of uh, Sword and Scale. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to that one. Yes, yes. And it just like seared into my brain and got me obsessed with true crime. So when I found out you ladies were doing a podcast about true crime and haunted stuff, I was like, uh, can I come tell a story, please? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, literally the first one to ask. And uh <laughs> Here and you the first are. one on Squeaky Wheel, and right? we're very excited. Yeah, yeah, we're excited to have you on. Yeah, we're excited to well, hear your story because we, we don't have to rock one. paper scissors for oh, that. We don't. Right? You automatically win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could rock paper scissors anyways, we and then rock, you paper, can celebrity. tell your story. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure. So, are you familiar with Rock Paper Celebrity? Uh, I've heard you guys play it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, let's just do a quick round. You and Darla. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. 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 I'm, like I'll be the judge. We'll go male first. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> Rock, Rock, paper, paper Dennis Leary. Johnny Depp. Oh. oh. Johnny Depp. Wait, I think John, yeah, Johnny Depp. I think Johnny Depp too. Rebecca, you can be the... Question, Johnny Depp now or Johnny Depp like 15 oh. years ago? Oh, whoa, whoa, 15 whoa, years whoa. ago. Johnny Depp then. <laughs> Shit. All right, you're up. You guys can do girl. Okay. Rock, paper, Kate Hudson. Natalie Portman. Portman. Oh. That's like yeah. <laughs> Portman. Portman. Oh, uh, that's tough. That's oh, that's that tough. Is it? I'm gonna go Natalie Portman. Well, it looks like you won both of those. Yeah, and uh, well. 
Thanks for joining us. And yeah, we'll this see was you next fun. Week. So yeah. I'm going to see myself out. <laughs> Bye. Get the hell out of here. Okay, <laughs> we actually have another game ready. It's a new game. Oh, God. It's a new game. First round. We made ever. it up. It's called Would You Rather. Have you ever we heard of it? We just invented it today. What? <laughs> this sounds really cool. I've never heard of this. <laughs> you go. You Should can go? start okay. us off. Or you, choose any of those. Okay. Uh, are you guys ready for this? Some real deep questions that come in your way. Can't wait. Would you rather have free coffee everywhere or free Wi-Fi everywhere? Oh, coffee. That's what I pick too. You I, said like, I think Wi-Fi because I'm not like that obsessed with coffee. But there already is free Wi-Fi in a lot of spots. There isn't just free coffee everywhere. So that's why I'm leaning towards coffee. Yeah. Also, like half the time, I don't want to really talk to anybody. So keep your Wi-Fi. So if you keep... <laughs> If you keep hot liquid in your mouth, then you don't have to speak to anybody. Exactly. And you don't have <laughs> Wi-Fi, so it's perfect. Great. Okay. <laughs> have no one show up for your wedding or no one show up for your funeral? Ah, uh, funeral. Because then at least you could party at your wedding. That's, I mean, that's a good point. You know, and I'm already dead. Who cares? I mean, at that point, too, I plan on being, like, really crotchety. So you probably so, like, expected it. I don't it. think anybody will be at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Just I a like couple old, old crusty ladies. <laughs> oh. All right. Would you rather uh, eat shit that tasted like chocolate Ooh. or eat chocolate that tasted like shit? Well, I mean, shit that tastes like chocolate. You'd eat the shit, hey? I would, you would eat, eat shit. shit. You would eat, eat shit. shit. See, you would eat shit. Yeah, you are you a shit eat eater. Shit. I, I, I eat shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I eat but it tastes like chocolate like you, you on my waffles. You eat shit for breakfast? You eat shit. That's nasty. This is a great okay, conversation. This is a, this is a good this is a, one. This is, a great, this is a great game. Do you guys answer any questions is, at any point? Or is it just, just me? If you ask them. <laughs> I, got, I got two more. We'll answer these ones okay. too. Okay. Would you rather always speak your mind or never be able to speak again? Well, I mean, I already kind of do speak my mind, so that's the one. She does. Yeah, that's the one. Like yeah. all the time? Yeah. Pretty much. Oh, yeah, shit. it doesn't win me a lot of friends. I would say I'd probably have no <laughs> friends and no job if I always spoke my mind. I would not speak ever again. <laughs> really? That's so sad. Wait, We'd miss out on true. all of your... <laughs> That's not I mean, true, I guess Jeff, if you yeah. if you I guess if you speaking your mind was like very mild, because like if I were yeah. speaking my mind, it would be like very mild, nice. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably just be a bullshitter. I think that's enough for that game. Okay, yeah. that was great though. <laughs> quick, good game. Quick question. Good game. We're going to patent that game. Oh, do you have one for us, maybe, on the spot? Oh, would you rather? Would you rather? Okay. Would you rather have toes as fingers or fingers as toes? Fingers, fingers as, as toes. toes. <laughs> I could climb Jinx. a fucking tree like you wouldn't believe if I had fingers as toes. Don't you I think? Can't. And rem- imagine if you're like, oh, I need to peel these carrots. Guess what? I can also peel the potatoes at the same time because you've got fingers on your toes. I mean, fingers yes. on your feet. You could peel all the as things. As a mother, I'm just... Making up time now, like saving time yeah. all over the place. I mean, Darla, maybe you sense. should go get uh, I should fingers get... on your toes. <gasps> I Think about all the extra things you could be doing in your day. If I had fingers on my toes. Yeah. Wow. You just gave the best idea. Well, you guys are for welcome that. for that. That was very profound. My life just changed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I just, I have one, one more question for you ladies. Mm-hmm. What is my serial killer name? 
Oh. Oh, yes. Okay, Whitney, your serial killer name officially is Factory Disemboweler. That's what you'd be called. That is disgusting. That is disgusting. Damn. I like it. Disemboweler. Anything that's a disemboweler. What was again? Scary. You you were the Outback Tickler. Something tickler? (laughs) (laughs) I can get so down with that. I think that's I feel like we should do these as like Halloween costumes that like we have to come up with our own conceptual like. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good idea. Whitney. Like this. I want to be the. The strip mall pounder. The what? <laughs> Wait, the swimming pool pounder. <laughs> swimming pool pounder. Can I see that list? Here you go. Some of these are super dumb. The stoplight slasher. <laughs> Never stop your car again. Okay, let's rock, paper, scissors to see who tells their story. We already <laughs> rocked. Are we doing scissors? We have to play until you win. I yeah. already won twice. No, that no, was Rock a different Paper game. Celebrity. We're talking oh, about Rock Paper Scissors. You can't change scissors. the pod. Sorry. These are the rules. I'm new. I'm new. I'm new. It's <laughs> tradition. Here we go. Okay. Rock, rock paper, scissors. Scissors. Scissors is a tie. Rock, paper, rock, scissors. Paper, scissors. <laughs> so delayed. Scissors is a tie. You know you can do more than scissors, right? You know you can too. Okay, yeah. Oh, rock, ooh, rock, paper, paper scissors. Scissors. Yes. Oh, slice. Your turn. Slice. Slits. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So, so now is supposed get to be Kez and I? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you didn't join in, so. Okay, ready? <laughs> you have to win. Rock, paper, paper scissors. Scissors. You're, you're the worst. Paper. I got gotcha. you. I got okay, you. Okay, so you Did go she first. Pick scissors oh, every time. I and guess. we still lost. You have to yeah. go first. Shit. Okay. <laughs> Crap. But I don't have a story ready. Whip one up real quick. Okay, so in this story, uh, some names have been changed. Um, So my references were the first episode of Sword and Scale. And then there was a book written by a lady. Her name is Janice Holly Booth. And uh, she was actually featured in that episode. And she wrote a book about this. um, It's a familiar side. Some names have been changed, but not everybody's. But I'm just going by what was in the book. So this story occurs in... Port Coquitlam in in January 1983. Um, So basically this case covers um, mental illness. Overall, what it kind of demonstrates is how as a society, like, I mean, I get it was the 80s. It was, you know, a very different time back then. And, you know, we have obviously come a long way since then, but I think we still have a lot to do in terms of like mental illness and recognizing it and treating it. And this case is a very good like demonstration of that. So basically our story starts on an early January morning. A neighbor, we're gonna call him William, uh, about 5.30 in the morning, he's up and he couldn't sleep. He didn't wanna like disturb his wife. So he's up in his kitchen and he's making a tea to start his morning and he can kind of see like the soft glow of like the lights from like uh, his neighbor's garage. He's like, oh, that's kind of strange. And then he hears some yelling and he's like, oh, well, that's weird. Like they're usually a pretty quiet family. Like what, what's that all about? But he didn't want to like be really super nosy. So he kind of just minds his business and keeps kind of doing his thing in the morning. And then he hears kind of more shouting. And then he sees two figures run out kind of onto the lawn and like one's chasing the other one and then ends up like pushing the other figure back into like the garage. And then he kind of doesn't realize, but he's like standing there holding his breath. And then all of a sudden he hears gunshots. (gasps) 
And so that's when he decides to call the police. And so when the police show up, there's a young man kind of wandering around out front of the house. And he is kind of like aimlessly wandering around. The police walk up and they're like, hey, do you have any idea of like what's going on? And he kind of like feigns that he just doesn't like or feigns that he doesn't like really know what's happening. And this man that they find is 22-year-old Bruce Blackman. So have you guys ever heard the story of Bruce Blackman out of Port Coquitlam? Okay, it's, perfect. It sounds vaguely familiar for me, but I'm, I'm not remembering any of these details at all. Okay. So There's just... some, like, really key... You'll If you know it, you'll know it. Right. But, um, yeah, so basically they find him. He's 22 years old, and he's wandering around in the early morning. And they basically walk inside the house, and um, it's a really grisly scene. And he's murdered almost all of his family. And at first, yeah, he pretends to, like, not really know what's going on. And then basically unprompted when standing with a rookie police officer, he just confesses that he murdered his whole family and that he is the Antichrist. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. So Bruce Blackman came from a pretty normal suburban family and uh, really just like they're very, very standard. They weren't like super religious. They, you know, had mom and dad were married. There was um, six brothers and sisters. So he had three older sisters and he himself was a twin. And then eventually he had a younger brother. Did they all live in the same house when this murder took place? So no, because he had three older sisters, one of them lived up in PG and Mm -hmm. the other two lived nearby with their husbands. And then his youngest brother lived in the house because he was 16. And then his twin brother was actually stationed in Ottawa because he was serving with the Canadian military. Okay. Bruce was a schizophrenic. Diagnosed? Yeah, did they already know this? Yeah, so Bruce was a diagnosed schizophrenic, but this was the early 80s. Right. So schizophrenia is a mental illness in which people can like interpret reality abnormally. It can result in hallucinations, delusions, um, extremely disordered thinking and behavior that impairs daily function. And you're basically disconnected from reality. Bruce Backman was born in 1960. He wasn't really great at school. He had some issues with like learning and stuff like that. And he was kind of falling behind. And so where his twin Todd, and again, that's not his real name, Todd, you know, where, where he excelled at school, like Bruce didn't really do great. And so his parents were concerned. And so they ended up taking him to a doctor. And what ended up happening is that doctor diagnosed him as a mere twin. It's a pretty controversial diagnosis, um, but it was used in the 80s. What does that mean? Whatever one twin would do, the other would do the opposite. And this was like Uh, an actual diagnosis. Like subconsciously or intentionally? Like like subconsciously. Like if if you were born as twins and one twin was left-handed, then you would be right-handed. If one twin was, you know, um, excelled at school, then you were going to not be good at school. Like, and this was an actual diagnosis from a doctor, (laughs) which is just kind of hysterical when you think about it. But yeah. basically, as a young, as he was in like, um, like junior high, kind of high school when he got this diagnosis, what ended up actually becoming of it is he actually had dyslexia, <laughs> which is right. why he had trouble in school, which makes sense. Um, and like, but, imagine trying to succeed when you're told, well, if your brother's good at this, you will not be. 
Like, how would you even shake yeah. that? Like, you would exactly. just... Exactly. Yeah, you'd naturally just fail probably. Yeah, it became this this diagnosis ended up becoming a pretty prominent like feature in his delusions later on. The really weird thing and you'll kind of find it in the vein of this story is that like there was weird things that would like confirmation like almost bias to his like weird delusions. So like where he's like, oh, I'm a mere twin. Well, his mom would always tell this story of when the twins were born that when his brother was born, he came out weighing nine pounds, six ounces. And when Bruce was born, he was six pounds, nine ounces. Wow. Right. So that just fulfills that, like, yeah, prophecy that you're American. Yeah. It kind of just gave him some purpose and a sense of meaning where, like, prior to that, he was kind of just drifting and not doing well. All of a sudden, he was like, oh, well, I'm not doing well because I'm a mere twin. He got really fixated with this. And it was probably one of the very early signs of his psychosis but like nobody really, you know, it was it was the 70s or 80s. So like they never really caught on to it. Um, so Todd eventually joined the Canadian military. Um, that's their dad served in the military. And so I'm sure at his urgings at this time, Bruce did too, um, based on like his father kind of pressuring him to do that. But uh, Bruce, the badass, was uh, kicked out on narcotics possession. <laughs> oh, snap. So yeah, so after this, Bruce was like, well, screw it. I'm a mere twin. I'm not supposed to do what my brother's doing. So I'm going to go get an apartment in like North Van with my buddy and work as a garbage man, smoke a ton of pot and eat pizza. Yeah. Also, it sounded really like a cool job because he would just like find really cool shit in the trash all the time. He found this like dope leather jacket that he like wore all the time <laughs> and like he'd find like furniture and like all this crap that he'd bring home. And then unfortunately, one day he found a Bible. Oh. And what? it really bothered him to like find this Bible in the trash. So even though the Blackmans, like, they weren't a religious family growing up, for whatever reason, he just was, like, finding this Bible in the trash really bothered him. He ended up picking it up and taking it home. So over the coming weeks, Bruce would basically become, like, really fixated on this Bible. And basically he, this is when he's starting his descent into schizophrenia. And he starts to, he gets really into the Old Testament and he gets really into Revelations. And like the Old Testament, especially Revelations, is like very the second coming of Christ, doom and gloom, the world is going to end, fire and brimstone, like it's dark and fucking scary and so he gets like really into the old testament really into revelations and he starts to believe that there's these like thousand year old encrypted messages in the bible that are just for him that he needs to like solve so that he can save the world from ending basically i'm wow. sorry but how terrifying like if you truly believed that yeah and like that was your reality I mean, that's just a really scary thing to be yeah. like. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and he truly did believe it. Like yeah. he, so at this point, he starts to hear voices. Shit. And he's hearing voices like he's hearing God. He's hearing the devil. And he's hearing this. It's She's a white woman with red eyes. So this goes back to like his fixations on like opposites, right? So he's Bruce, black man. And this is a white woman. 
Oh, shit. Again, it's that confirmation bias, right? When you're looking for something to confirm what you believe and you will find it. But it is interesting. So he starts hearing all these different voices and they're basically telling him that like the world is going to end and he has to save it. And this kind of starts happening in about like October, November of 1982. So that's the other like really scary thing about this story. So Bruce Blackman was like well-liked, he was generous, he was kind, and you know, he'd give you the shirt off your back kind of guy. Like he was off happy your to back. Not be. He's just like, hey, he'd give you your do own you shirt. Need a shirt. Take your shirt off your back and you use that fucking shirt right now. Yeah. <laughs> he would like give you the leather jacket he found in a dumpster. Like he was, you know, <laughs> he was that guy. And and in, it took him 46 days to go from that guy to murdering his family. What? And so where is his friends and family around? When Where is the people that should notice, hey, our dear friend so-and-so here is acting really odd and, you know, mumbling to white ladies with red eyes that aren't there and shit like that. Like, where was his support team? Totally. And that's, and I think that's what, like, this, this story really kind of, like, showcases is that you can't just sweep mental illness under the rug those warning just... signs are there those warning signs are there and they need to be taken addressed yeah this whole story is just fucking easter eggs <laughs> yeah yeah anyways so the white woman from the book of revelations is telling him that he's you know this and that and so he believes that like when god is talking to him that because he is the opposite then he has to be the antichrist He's hearing these voices constantly. They're getting more malevolent. They're getting more insistent. And they're getting more just like the world is going to end and like he's the only one that can fix it. Um, Basically, nobody really kind of noticed what was going on with him until he ended up going on this like hunting trip with his dad, all of his dad's military friends and his twin brother. And basically, they're like, you know, after a day of hunting in the interior, they were like moose hunting. They're all sitting around the fire. And out out of nowhere, Bruce just like, bursts up out of his seat and just starts yelling at everybody and is like you're all a bunch of warmongers and you're this and you're that it just goes off on this like crazy tirade and everybody's just kind of like well that was super unprovoked like (laughs) what's going on buddy and then he just kind of like goes to bed and then the next morning like has no memory of it wow and nobody really discusses it And so then basically the next incident is he's, you know, at home in North Van in his place that he shares with his roommate and his roommate comes home with a friend, like a mutual friend. And Bruce has the table, the kitchen table, like meticulously set for four people. And his roommate kind of walks in is like, yo, bud, what's what's up? (laughs) Who's coming over a couple Who's coming for dinner? Like... And yeah. Bruce is like, well, you need to call our other friends. So they were like four friends that like hung out. Um, they were all close. And he was like, you need to call the fourth friend and get her over here. Tonight, the world is going to end at eight o'clock and we all need to be together. And they were kind of like, yeah, okay, Bruce. Like, ha, ha, ha. And the roommate like made a joke. And like Bruce was like, no, the world is going to end tonight. We have to be together. You need to call our friend get her over here. We all need to like eat this meal together that I've made for everybody and like drink this coffee that I made for everybody because we're all going to like die together, end of the world. And they were like, no, man. And and they ended up actually like, he got really belligerent and like really insistent. And they ended up leaving the apartment, the, the, the roommate and the friend and went to the other friend's place. And he ended up like chasing them down the street 
like running after them for like six blocks and just being like being really insistent like he just really truly believed this like he thought like everybody's gonna die and I need you to do this basically like when his friends wouldn't like comply with like what he was um trying to like do he be, he set his sights on his family. Um, so at this time, like Bruce was reading like pretty voraciously. Like he was really, like I said, he was really getting to the Old Testament. He was really getting into revelations. He was reading all kinds of like religious texts and he was like getting into numerology and like all these different things. And he was like finding hidden messages in, in all these different texts and numerology and different you know, patterns he would find in things in order for him to, you know, quote unquote, save the world. And in these kind of religious texts and the Bibles and all this stuff, he read about the rituals of communion. So for all those people out there that weren't raised Catholic, the ritual of communion is you go up and you eat the body of Christ and you drink the blood of Christ, which is basically just like a rice wafer and a little bit of wine. So he got it into his head that the tree of knowledge was represented by the little book. The little book is referenced in Revelations and that if you eat the little book, you will see God. And that little book in his mind meant a man's semen and a woman's menstrual blood. No! Yes. (laughs) What the fuck? So this guy... Bruce Blackman started eating his semen on a his regular basis. Not even someone, another man's semen. It's just his own. <laughs> oh just. my God. So this is also the, the, the thing at the time is like he wasn't sleeping and he wasn't eating. And the thing is, is like, this is how far gone this guy was. Like he wasn't ashamed of what he was doing and he would not stop talking to his family about it. And oh getting and, and wanting them to eat their books in order to see God and understand his possession. And they have not got him help at this point. They're just nope. like, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Yeah. No, seriously. They're like, you need to stop talking crazy. That's enough. Like, go get a job. Stop it. Right. So he ended up going over to his one sister's place to her husband. He's like, hey, is, you know, Karen on her period? And he's like, dude. That's a weird question. Yes, but you're making me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So Get the sis- out of so, my house. Yeah. So at this point, he's like staying at the sister's place and the sister goes to work and so does the husband. And when the sister comes home, he's like made this drink for her. And what he's done is he's gone and found an old menstrual pad, squeezed the blood out of it, and he's added chicken soup stock orange juice and ripped up pages of the bible blended them together (laughs) and it's force forcing her to drink it she ended up taking like a couple of sips and was like i can't fucking drink this and then like poured it down the sink she's like this tastes like is this paper oddly familiar (laughs) (laughs) no her husband drank it and was like this is oddly I just have to side note. 
Me and Whitney had a laugh, and I literally peed my actual pants because I was laughing so hard, and it was a similar situation to this. I just like where you put actual in that sentence. Like, it wasn't like you actually peed your pants, no. but you peed your actual pants. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay. No, but when people are like, yeah, and then I peed my pants because I was laughing so hard. No, I was like literally like yeah. wet. Chaz is like, yeah, no, I peed oh my myself. God, you <laughs> I made a funny. And then no one, we were laughing hysterically like this. And it just came out and it was like the most pee I ever had, like non-intentional. Oh my God. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Okay, so moving on. So she drank the drink and a couple sips were enough to like calm him down and, and he was happy. And so basically after his one sister drinks it, he ends up turning his attention to his other sister. And so she just like kind of humored him and was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Bruce, I'll drink my menstrual blood. Like just chill out he ended up staying with her for a while and i don't think he tricked her into drinking a weird chicken soup drink but uh she ended up becoming so scared of him that she left her own home and went and stayed with a friend at this point he ended up calling his twin brother who was stationed out in ottawa and he told him that he was really scared and that he also really wanted his brother to eat his book. And his brother was just like, can you please just stop talking nonsense and like get a job? So on that day, he ended up making eight calls, one of them to the Canadian National Defense. No. One one to the Pope in Rome and one to like a bishop in Poland or something. Okay, did he get through? How do you find the number to the Pope in Rome? Did he get through to those people? I don't think so. Okay. So... After all of this, his family finally consults a fucking psychologist. They're like, oh. okay, there's something wrong with him. We can't ignore this any any longer. <laughs> like, our kids are drinking their semen. Yeah. <laughs> our daughters are drinking their menstruation. We're out of chicken stock. So we got to do something about this. <laughs> We're out of chicken stock. <laughs> our Bibles are missing pages. Like... <laughs> Oh, my God. So they finally contact a psychologist who injects him with a very strong antipsychotic and ends up prescribing him tranquilizers and stuff to, like, help him just calm down. Three days later, he gets on a bus to Prince George, where his third sister lives, doesn't tell anybody, shows up at her house, lets himself in in the middle of the night, and stands over her bed. And oh. her and her husband wake up, and there's her brother Wait, standing the, the over medi- her bed. The medicine didn't work. So basically, the tran- like they, they injected him with a tranquilizer, which like chilled him out for like a day or something, and they gave him meds, but he wasn't taking them. And so his like, parent, like where, what? Yeah. So at this point, this is his third sister, Angela, and her husband, Fred. So Fred is like, well, do you want me to stay home from work? And she's like, no, 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 Bruce wouldn't hurt a fly. And this is just it. He's always been a kind and gentle person. So they wake up in the morning. This is the pregnant sister. She's like, I'm really hungry. I want an omelet. And he's like, I'll make you breakfast. You just sit, chill, whatever. So he makes her an omelet. He goes to feed it to her. She has like two bites. And it's basically like, ugh, whatever you put in this, like it's so bitter. I can't even eat it. And she ends up feeding it to the dog. 
And then the dog an hour or two later is like falling down and like walking into walls and like is all fucked up. And Angela's like, Bruce, what's wrong with the dog? And he basically says to her, he goes, that wasn't meant for the dog. It was meant for you. And so what he had done is he had taken seven of his tranquilizers and ground them up and put them in the omelet. The dog lived, which is crazy. And she was pregnant. She was pregnant. She ended up spending eight days in the hospital and she almost lost her baby. Oh my good from, from the bites. stress or from, from a couple two bites? bites from two <gasps> bites whoa so he poisoned her so yeah after this incident bruce ends up back in port coquitlam at a psychiatrist's office and when asked if he's taking his meds his father responds he better be that's an <laughs> 80s parent comment that right for sure. <laughs> now we're approaching christmas and Bruce, again, is obsessed with, like, bringing all of his family together. And Angela, who Bruce attempted to poison, was like, no, I'm I'm not coming for Christmas. Like, I'm not spending it with this guy. And he couldn't understand why. Wow. But Christmas ended up coming and going really without issue, without any, like, big incidents. Bruce was, like, pretty subdued. And at this point, all of a sudden, an acceptance letter to Selkirk College shows up. So he got accepted into the Millwright program in Selkirk in Nelson, BC. Mm. And his family is like, hey, you haven't had like an outburst in a a week. So you should probably go do this. In a week. (laughs) I'm kidding. But you know what I mean? It's been a week. Time for you to go to college. (laughs) Well, and and this is it. Like this progressed really fast. Like I'm not like I like there's a lot of information in this story. But it literally this this whole story happens over a span of 46 days. Oh it's a goodness. month and a half. So he gets this acceptance letter for Selkirk College in Nelson, which is really far from Port Coquitlam. Mm-hmm. And the psychiatrist is like, do not send him there. He's finally doing a little bit better. Sending somebody who's a schizophrenic off on their own, disrupting their schedule. Like, that's a terrible idea. And his dad is like, nope, he needs to go get a job. He needs to oh find some direction. God. He needs to go. So he gets on a bus and on that bus, he meets this woman called Mary and she ends up telling him that she's like, she's talking to him about like telekinesis and like astral projections and that she's like died multiple times. And when she died, there was no blood and she always came back and there is no such thing as death. And this makes him feel better about what he's been thinking about doing, which is killing his family. Jesus. So yeah, at this point, like the voices in his head are telling him to kill his family in order to save the world and that basically they would be preserved in heaven forever. And so he gets to Nelson and they give him a key to his dorm room and he basically sees this key and he's like, oh, this key is the gateway for salvation for his family and the world. His parents had like give him a little bit of money to like, you know, be in college and whatever. And he took that money, he bought an immediate flight back home and like a $40 cab ride and like shows back up in impulsively back in Port Coquitlam like 48 hours later. So the psychiatrist talks to Bruce. Bruce is very like one syllable, very non-committal answers. He's never really been like this before. Bruce gets off the phone, he hands it to his father, his father gets on the phone with the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist is like, I'm writing up a a, a committal form right now, you need to drive him to the hospital and have him committed. 
And his father responds, uh, the hospital's like five miles away. I can handle him tonight and I'll take him in the morning. It's oh, too no. late. And that is the night that Bruce gruesomely murders six members of his family. Whoa. So on January 18th at 4.45 a.m., Bruce calls his sister Bobby and he tells her that something is going to happen and that, that her and her other sister Karen need to come to the family home and do not bring your husbands. He then hangs up and Bobby immediately calls the psychiatrist who urges her to call the police. And she says, no, I'm going to go over there and we're going to handle it ourselves. I'll call you after. Jesus. At this point, after Bruce got off the phone, he went downstairs and grabbed a rifle that he had loaded earlier. He comes up the stairs and he shoots his father who's sitting at the kitchen table. The first shot goes through his hand and grazes his face and doesn't kill him. The second shot misses him. And then he fires three more shots into his father, killing him. Oh, my goodness. His younger brother, who's 16 at the time, is sleeping on the couch in the living room, who hears the commotion, comes running into the kitchen, sees his father in a pool of his own blood, turns to run, and Bruce guns him down and kills him. He then hears his mother upstairs, who had gotten out of bed. He runs up the stairs, chases his mother down, who's now running to the bathroom, and shoots her in the back. As she falls, she falls face up and she tries to like reach her hand up to stop him and she sh- he shoots her through the hand and into the face. Oh. oh my goodness. At this point, he half-heartedly tries to clean up the scene because he knows that his other sisters are arriving. So he drags his brothers and his father's bodies downstairs and he starts to mop up the blood and he can hear his sisters pull up. And it's Bobby, her husband John, again these are all fake names and and his sister Karen Bobby gets out first and the garage is open she goes in through the garage to go into the house John walks in behind her and Karen is the last one as they're walking in through the garage Bruce comes out the front door comes in behind Karen shoots her twice in the back of the head and kills her Bobby's in the house at this point John's still in the garage and he turns and he's trying to reason with Bruce And he sees an opportunity and he runs. Bruce chases him down. He shoots him in the shoulder. He shoots him in the leg. And then he pushes him back into the garage. And this is what the neighbor was witnessing at the beginning of this story. He gets John into the garage and he shoots him six times in the face. And he doesn't die. Oh my God. So he grabs a hammer and he bludgeons him to the point that you can't even tell he's a human being anymore. And he finally dies. Bobby sees her whole family massacred. She went to go hide in the yard, sees what's happening to her husband, runs into the garage to try to stop him, sees that it's too late, tries to run away from Bruce. And as she's running across the lawn, it's like slippery with rain because it's January and it's like five in the morning. She's slipping on the grass. Bruce basically catches up with her and shoots her twice in the back and kills her. So up until this point, like I said, he had never been a violent or angry person. He was very well liked and he was known as a generous and like gentle person. It took a total of 46 days for Bruce to completely descend into madness and violently and gruesomely kill his family. Mm. He was really gruesome and violent with his brother-in-law, John, because he thought he was the devil and that if he didn't kill him, that the rest of his family wouldn't be able to ascend to heaven. Bruce Blackman was obviously arrested because he quickly confessed 
um, after the crime and claimed to be the Antichrist. And in 1983, he was tried and he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And back then, that meant that you basically went away in an insane asylum for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. But the laws in 1995 changed and Bruce Blackman was released into the community. What? what? I just got like chills all over my body. He has changed his name and he's moved around. He's never granted an interview and nobody knows where he is. What? Allegedly, he lived with a cousin in Victoria for a while. And then he's reconciled with his brother and was living with him in Comox. He may oh go by the name Bruce Moore now, as that was his grandfather's name. His surviving brother-in-law was against him being released. This is Karen's husband. But nothing has been in the papers about Bruce Blackman since 1995. Why can't? Why would they not put his name out there or anything about him? Because He's a violent criminal. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And if you can quote-unquote, cure his insanity, he gets a fresh start. And that is the story of Bruce Blackman and the familiar side. So he had one brother, his twin, who lived, and his one sister. Who was pregnant. Who was pregnant up in PG, who lived. And the rest of his family he murdered. I just want to add that all jokes aside, I mean, what I get from this story is his family did really care about him. I mean, we may not mm-hmm. agree with a lot of their decisions or lack of action. There's no doubt that that was a tight-knit family and uh, what a horrible, horrible situation. Nobody obviously anticipated that. That's yeah. so heavy. That's it's crazy. heavy. It's a lot. Um, That's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right, Darla. Like, they were. They were a very well-known, loving family and they were yeah. very tight-knit. And I can't imagine... The surviving you know siblings what that would be like and yeah it, it's just it, it, it he wasn't he's not an evil person you know he did something that was 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 very violent but he was very 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 ill yeah mm-hmm. and this is why we need people to understand that like mental illness is a real thing and it's serious and you need to treat it and it's not something to be swept under the rug. It's not and something I'm, to be ashamed of. It's something no. that's everywhere. And there was and a lot of stigma back then. Yeah. There still yeah. is stigma. And I, you know what I mean? So I think, and, and they were just working within like, it's it, like they were working within the capacity of what they had. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for bringing Great it to us though. Job. Anytime. Well, yeah. Well done. That by was the way. incredible. It's yeah, like you've yeah. done this before. You nailed that. You're a great storyteller. Fantastic. Thank Anytime, you so much ladies. for uh, being our first guest. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. It this was an lovely. honor to of have course. you. This is exciting and fun. I love it. Yeah. It I great. mean, this is the start of something great. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus will agree. Are you going to, yeah, is it time to blow out the Jesus candle? Um, uh, well, should we just, say, I don't know, end on a quick light note, maybe? Jokes. Do you have a joke for us? Okay. Um, this is my sister's favorite joke. What did one strawberry say to the other? Tell us. If we hadn't gotten so fresh last night, we wouldn't be in this jam. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So, Whitney, we're going to get you to blow out the candle. You ready? Okay, ready? Oh, nice. Nice one. Also, I splashed wax everywhere. Oh, no. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) 
<laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> that was great. Okay, high five. Good night, Thanks. everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. We out. <laughs>